Anybody get wet yesterday? I think we all did. I was in Oklahoma City uh, Friday. Lori and I were helping Luke and his wife Lindsay load a truck that uh, they filled. There, nothing else could possibly get in it. And I helped him load a refrigerator in the pouring rain. I complained to Stephen uh, Gerald, and Stephen responded with, he nearly killed himself one time trying to load a refrigerator. So anyway, I don't think any of us are complaining about the rain. I think today is officially the first day of fall, and God has blessed us with moisture and rain and cooler weather. So maybe the 90s and the 100s are behind us until next summer. That's all right. We have a lot of guests with us this morning. We're certainly uh, thankful for your presence today. And, and anytime uh, you want to come and visit with us, we'll certainly welcome you. And I hope you'll give us a chance to meet you later. And now I, I know I'm a little prejudiced, but if you're looking for a church home, this is where you ought to be. And we'll treat you good and just make you part of the family. So please uh, come back and, and visit with us every opportunity you have. If you'll come next week, we will feed you. And everybody likes to eat, I think. So please come back next week because we have a very cool tradition here at Lamar Avenue. The months with five Sundays, on the fifth Sunday, we eat after we worship, and next week is the fifth Sunday, and so everyone, please, if you haven't already done so, sign up on the sheet at the Welcome Center. We need to have a count. We'll be eating sandwiches from Slotsky's, and everybody that can bring a dessert. I'm signing up for the desserts, just to be honest, but I'll eat a sandwich too, so please come back and and be with us next week, and, and members, be sure and uh, sign that list. Uh, so we'll have a good count. And next Sunday, being a fifth Sunday, we're going to kind of add to that tradition a little bit. And all of our adult classes, I think age middle school and up, will dismiss next week. And we're going to come into the auditorium, and Stephen and Kyle... Uh, will lead us in about an hour of praise and worship. We'll learn some new songs. Uh, we decided to do this uh, kind of based on, on our meeting with uh, DJ Bulls back in uh, July when DJ was with us and shared some things about worship and how we can improve worship and enhance worship. And a part of that discussion was, when is a good time to learn new songs. And DJ suggested, think of a time when most of us are together, rather than trying to learn a new song in uh, that worship time between 10 and 11.15. And so we kind of brainstormed and uh, thought that that would be uh, perhaps a good way. So this will be something we'll be able to do uh, four times a year. So please uh, be here on time next week, 9 o'clock, and come straight into the auditorium. Uh, drink something hot before you come so your vocal cords are ready to go uh, to sing. And certainly appreciate uh, Kyle and, and Stephen uh, doing for, uh, this, this for us uh, next week to, again, enhance and uh, improve our worship. 
We have a few away this morning. I know Jared with some sponsors, I think, are with some of our younger teens at a retreat. Great weekend to have a retreat with eight inches of rain or whatever it was. I'm sure he'll have some really good stories uh, to tell. Um, I guess it's okay for me to say this. When I uh, left Lamar Avenue and became the preaching minister for the North Sheridan Church in Tulsa, I, I made a top 10 list of reasons I decided to move out of youth ministry. And retreats were one of the things that made my list. So uh, I'm glad we have young men like Jared and others who are willing uh, to sponsor. Uh, but I know Jared would appreciate us uh, praying for them. They'll re be returning after a time of worship uh, this morning and I think a, a quick meal, so they'll be back uh, this afternoon. And finally, uh, tonight at 6 o'clock, uh, I will begin a new series of lessons uh, based on the Beatitudes. And if you look on the front page of your bulletin uh, this morning, you'll see uh, some uh, sermon titles. And I think this will be a very good study uh, as we move from uh, the parables uh, to uh, the Beatitudes, uh, at least on the Sunday nights that uh, I'm with you. I think John uh, Cannon began a study based on uh, the heroes of faith from Hebrews 11 uh, last Sunday night. Uh, so uh, if you attend uh, on Sunday evenings here at, at 6 o'clock, uh, Hebrews 11 and the Beatitudes uh, for uh, the next uh, several weeks. Some of you may be familiar with the name of Ed uh, Stetzer. Uh, Ed Stetzer has written a number of books concerning uh, church growth. Stetzer does a lot of work in looking at Christianity and faith issues and what's kind of occurring across uh, our, our country. Regularly writes on, on his blog. Uh, he is an author that, that I think provides some really good information uh, for those of us who are interested in Christianity and, and church growth. And in 2013, uh, he wrote an article for Outreach Magazine in which he suggests five essentials for evangelism now. So five essentials for evangelism now. Number one, a clear understanding of the gospel. Number two, a greater passion for mission. Number three, focusing efforts toward people with little or no religious background. And that people group within our country is growing daily. Number four, new thinking in developing the best evangelistic practices for our culture today. And then number five, again, an essential for evangelism now. A stronger focus on discipleship. And he goes on to comment, God grows us as we are in a position to receive that growth. And this can only happen through intentional awareness and leadership on the part of both leaders and church members. Well, when I read that list, of course, I got very excited because we are in uh, the midst of, looky there, both times, boom, boom it. 
popped up. Thank you. We're in the midst of a study about discipleship. And if you'll look to my right, you'll notice the banner. Part of our vision statement is connecting with God. And one of the ways that we can connect with God is to make disciples. And so we have recently begun a new series of lessons thinking about making disciples. And in that very first lesson, just a few weeks ago, we emphasized the Great Commission, uh, found in Matthew chapter 28 and verse uh, 19. And we learned in that lesson that there are three things involved in making disciples, going, baptizing, and teaching. But then we concluded that lesson by making the point that in order to make disciples, we must be disciples. And so last week, we began to talk about what it means to be a disciple. And we learned, among other things last week, that by definition, a disciple is simply a learner, a student, a pupil. Uh, perhaps a better word is an apprentice, where we attach ourselves to some expert, if you will, to learn a skill, to learn a trade, to learn a particular teaching. And of course, in our context, we attach ourselves to Jesus. And not only do we learn from Him, but we also imitate Him and we seek to perpetuate what He has taught us and what we have learned in our lives. And so this morning, we want to continue to develop this theme of being a disciple. And I want to suggest uh, this morning that the word in the New Testament which best describes what it means to be a disciple is the word follow. I appreciate uh, Stephen uh, leading uh, the hymns that he led this morning that emphasize that theme. Uh, if you just think back for just a moment or look at your bulletin again, uh, several of the songs we sang emphasized following Jesus, holding hands with Jesus, uh, following him throughout our lives. The word that is typically translated as follow in our New Testament, I think, is, is a very interesting word. It's formed from a particle which suggests union or some kind of connection and the word for path or road. So if you, if you put these to get together, literally going the same way with someone, or one going down the same path or road, or to be in the same way with. It means to accompany, to be a companion. And again, just like we learned from Mathetes, the word for disciple last week, this word also suggests an attachment. So its meaning corresponds to our word follow, both in its literal sense to go after or to go with someone and its figurative sense to understand as in to follow an argument or to obey, to follow some instructions. In fact, both the philosophers of Jesus' day and Jewish authors use the word to mean 
to conform or to obey, in that sense, to follow divine law. Well, understanding some of those things, it shouldn't surprise us that this would be a very common word used in reference to the disciples of Jesus. The verb occurs in the New Testament some 90 times with all but 11 occurrences in the four Gospels. And you might remember from last week, the word disciple primarily occurs in the four Gospels that tell us the story of Jesus. And of those 90 occurrences, 73 refer to being a follower of Jesus. And so a lot of New Testament uh, scholars would argue that the word thus assumes this theological meaning of being a disciple. So to follow Jesus is to be a follower of Jesus. To learn of Jesus is, is to follow Jesus. In order to imitate Jesus, as we're called to do in our lives, we follow him. And so I'd like for us to go to a text in the New Testament where we first find this word and where we see Jesus reach out to four men and call them to follow him. So if you have your New Testament, turn to Matthew 4. And you'll notice uh, on the slide the parallel passage is in uh, Mark uh, chapter 1. Same story in both Gospels. But let me read from Matthew 4 beginning with verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother, John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So here we have recorded for us uh, very early in Matthew's gospel what we might call the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. He's been baptized by John the Baptist. He has been in the wilderness being tempted uh, by Satan for 40 days. And now he finds himself in and, and around the Sea of Galilee close to his hometown of Nazareth and his public ministry begins. And we learn that it's a ministry of calling. It's a ministry of inviting. It is a ministry of recruiting others to attach themselves to him and to follow him. I want us to consider two things that are involved are, or are implied in following Jesus. First of all, it is Jesus who initiates the invitation. Now, this is a little different from other philosophers or teachers of the time of Jesus. 
usually a philosopher or a teacher or perhaps a Jewish rabbi would uh, set themselves down at a particular place and their students would come to them. But Jesus, again, is, is out recruiting himself. He extends the call to his followers. And also, unlike the others, the emphasis was to follow him. Not so much to follow a philosophy, a theory, or ethic, but to follow a person. Now, Jesus, of course, is going to teach, and there are some things, of course, that disciples must learn. But first and foremost, the call is to follow him. And so the object of the disciples' faith and hope was Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. So Jesus initiates the invitation. But then number two, the invitation must be accepted. You know, it's one thing to be invited. And and it's another thing to follow through with the invitation and accept it. I I was, was looking over this text again early this morning. And, and for the very first time, the, the thought occurred in my mind, why didn't Jesus also call Zebedee? A- anybody else think about that? Who did? You didn't. Neither did I, Mac. I'm, 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 did anybody? It, it just kind of hit me. He didn't get an invitation, evidently. Now, certainly... I would assume at some point, John and uh, James certainly said, hey, listen, Dad, you need to follow this guy, all right? But, but the point is, we must accept the invitation. You know, we, we probably receive invitations all the time for a variety of events. And sometimes we accept, sometimes we don't. We extend invitations to people quite a bit. And sometimes people will accept the invitation, sometimes they don't. And if they don't, they miss out, right? Right? So Jesus extends the invitation or initiates the invitation, then it becomes our responsibility to accept the invitation. And at least in, in this text this morning, okay, in this text this morning, answering the call includes at least three themes. And ironically enough, all three of these things begin with the letter P. So here we go. Number one, accepting the call of Jesus includes purpose. And, And you see that by the change of vocation, if you will, that Peter and Andrew and James and John experience. Jesus says, you're fishermen. And, and, of course, they continue to fish, okay? They continue to support themselves, probably involved somewhat in, in supporting the ministry. If you continue to read through the Gospels, there were occasions uh, when they were, were fishing, certainly after the resurrection of Jesus, John uh, chapter 21. But now their primary vocation, their, their primary calling is to fish for people. And and so the lesson for us, you know, we have teachers in here, we have accountants, we have 
bankers. We have all sorts of, of people with a variety of callings and vocations, jobs, if you will. But as a disciple of Jesus, our, pur- our primary purpose is now to follow him and make disciples. And it's, it's what Peter calls the priesthood of all believers. Right? We are all ministers. We're all disciples. We support ourselves and we support our families in a number of different ways. But first and foremost, we fish for people. Everyone's kind of picked up. I enjoy fishing. You know, I fish primarily for bass. Somebody up in Oklahoma City yesterday said, we haven't seen any pictures of you catching any fish in Texas. And I said, well, I'm catching a lot of fish. I just haven't caught a big one yet. All right. Only the big ones make Facebook and Twitter. Okay. Only the big ones. And and when you think about this this beautiful metaphor of of fishing, okay, and this purpose of fishing, so many applications that you can make, right? You know, we not only fish for bass, we fish for crappie. And we, you know, we fish for everything. When Jesus calls us to fish for people, and that becomes our new purpose. Secondly... You'll also notice there is a promptness here to accepting this invitation or answering uh, this call. We see it with both Peter and Andrew as well as James and John. It's the same word, and I don't know why the NIV decides to translate it differently. But in verse 20, in reference to Peter and Andrew, it says, at once, at once. Then you jump down to verse 22... Again, same word, but verse 22 says, and immediately. Maybe it's just a change in style, the translators thought. And and as I mentioned last week, if you go over to the Gospel of Mark, you see this word immediately, straightforward, at once. It emphasizes with hurry, with intensity, with a sense of urgency. And when you go to the book of Acts and you look at all the conversion stories, as we say, we we see this sense of urgency. We see this promptness to respond to the invitation of Jesus, to follow him and to be one of his disciples. And and here's here's the reality. There's certainly an initial sense of, of immediacy and doing this at once, but we should continue to follow him. With, with this intensity and this sense of urgency. You know, uh, by definition, we kind of define the word gospel, good news. Well, you could also say it's urgent news. I mean, we get, need to get the word out there. Right? So this promptness in answering the call. And then finally, already kind of implied here, but there is a priority. All right? There is this initial as we see these men kind of undergo a change of professions from fishing for fish to fishing for people, it becomes their priority. And so it's linked right back, I think, to to that idea of, of promptness and purpose. It becomes their priority in their life to follow Jesus, 
to perpetuate what they learn from him, to imitate him as they go about their daily lives. Jesus initiates the invitation. The invitation must be accepted. And at least in, in this text, and in, on this occasion, answering that call involves three things. Purpose, promptness, and priority. Now, let me kind of illustrate this. And I'm having trouble maneuvering around here a little bit today. Let me illustrate it maybe this way. How many of us are Twitter people? Come on, raise your hands. I know some of you follow me. Not many of us. Not many of us, okay? Well, here's the way Twitter works. You know, it's, it's a social media outlet. And you can, you can follow anyone you want. Now, they can block you if, if they don't like you following them. And I have actually been blocked by a friend for 25 hours because I called him out on the way he does and prepares barbecue, and he didn't like it. So to retaliate, he blocks me for 25 hours. I don't know why 25, all right? I saw him yesterday up in Norman, Oklahoma, and, and we're, we're good, okay? But all it takes to follow someone is just a little click, right? And so when you make the decision to follow someone, kind of like becoming a friend on, on Facebook, I'm, I'm kind of learning this is a big Facebook church, you know? And, but but on, on, on Twitter, when, when you begin to follow someone, anytime they post to their account, it pops up on your own Twitter feed, all right? And I looked this morning, and I think I follow 298 people or entities, all right? Some are close friends. Some are guys like Ed Stetzer that kind of keeps me informed on, on church growth. Some are news outlets. You know, that's my primary source for news anymore. You know, is I go to Twitter, there's something of interest, then I go read the newspaper or whatever, all right? So I'm, I'm following 298 people. And I think I have 312 followers. Now that's kind of scary. You know, I think last week we talked about, you know, it's kind of scary to, to, to say to someone, follow me. You know, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Uh, different word, by the way. Really, it's more the word imitate me as I imitate Christ. But the same kind of, of concept. So follow, here's the point. Following someone on Twitter is pretty easy, right? You just make a click. And really, nothing else is involved. There, there really is no other energy that needs to be exerted. You don't even really have to learn, all right? Now, you can respond, and that's when, if you respond in a, in a way they don't like, they can block you, okay? But that's it. That's Twitter and following someone on Twitter. And, and so, again, we see this morning in following Jesus, it involves a little more than just a click. Right? There is this attachment. And, and not only are we learning, but we have this, this defined purpose. We, we respond with, with a promptness and immediacy. An urgency, some intentionality, if you will. 
And following him becomes our primary priority. Everything else is somewhat secondary. Other important things, certainly. I mean, Jesus tells us other things are important. Right? But he is, he is the one calling the shots for us. He is, he is the one that is teaching. And again, he is the one that is out in front that we have attached ourselves to to follow. There's a very interesting thing that occurs in the Gospels. And one reason I chose Matthew's text is because right, right after the, the calling of, of these four men, you see used for the very first time the, a reference to crowds. And, and again, you see this in all four Gospels, but especially in the Gospel of Matthew. Jump, jump down with me now to verse 25 of Matthew 4. Large crowds from Galilee the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. And so through the rest of Matthew's gospel, you have the 12 following Jesus. You have disciples following Jesus. And you have the crowds following Jesus. And so we might say there, there appears to be, and again, in Jesus' public ministry, kind of three layers, if you will, of people following Jesus. And often we see the crowds astonished, they're amazed, they're impressed. You, you even see, see glimpses of expressions of belief and faith. But who is it when Jesus appears before Pilate that shouts, crucify him, crucify him? It's the crowds. It's the crowds. And so as we think about being a disciple, and as we, we, we think about following Jesus... Are we going to be a true follower and apply, answer the call and do it promptly with purpose and make it a priority or are we just going to be one of the crowds? Just, just one in the crowd that just kind of follows along. Yeah, we, we might learn a thing or two. We might get something uh, out of, of something Jesus has said. Yeah, he might be a good example for us in certain situations in life. But that's it. Just a teacher. Just a philosopher. Rather than confessing him and being immersed into his name because he is our Savior, the Christ, the Son of God. Which will it be this morning?